song. I love that song. And uh, we're going to take our Bibles tonight to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. If you need an outline tonight, there are three pages to tonight's outline. You probably figured that out. Anyone need a copy that doesn't have one? Cruz would be happy to get up and get that for you tonight. Anybody need one? Slip your hand up. I think we're good. All right. I'll just make sure Cruz was awake. His head was kind of down. He was looking at his Bible, opening it up. So that's what, or he's looking at, there's no sports on tonight, so he wasn't looking at his phone tonight. So do you ever look at the sports during church? Might have been a few times. What an honest guy. That's great to be honest. So, yeah, you, 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 and, you and Matt, I tell you, the two of you. So I don't think I'm even that bad. Well, okay, we'll leave that there and not go any further. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. We're going to look at the book of Corinthians tonight, 1 Corinthians. Next week we'll look at 2 Corinthians, Lord willing, and then we'll have pie and praise night after that. And so we're already getting close to Thanksgiving, getting towards the end of the year. The election is over, kind of. The, you know, it's where, where we, we're in limbo with everything, and God's in control of everything, and everything's going to be good. We hear COVID cases are going up all over the place, but it's amazing to me. They said, I heard all over the place, if you're going to go out and celebrate Biden winning, just wear your mask and social distance, but you have the right to celebrate. That's what we, you have more of a right to go to church. There's nowhere in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights that says, you have the right to go out and celebrate a presidential election. There is something that says you have the right to assemble and go to church. And so church is very important. And, uh, you know, who knows, in a few months, new president, they might say it's time to close things down again. We'll be open this time, so we won't be closing down again. So we have to build that underground bunker I was talking about the other week. We might do that. It would be pretty cool. We got the underneath the building. We can make it work have a little step in here to go down, no one would ever know, so, but it'll be all right. We're in 1 Corinthians tonight, the book of Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians. We're going to look here tonight, this is one of Paul's epistles to a church, last week we looked at the book of Romans, and let me encourage you, Sunday night, this coming Sunday night, we are starting a series on the book of Romans, and uh, last Wednesday night, I had been praying about where to go on Sunday nights, and the Lord just laid on my heart, the book of Romans is a great book. It is a, the book of, if you're going to preach through a book, one of Paul's epistles, Ephesians is the easiest. I would say Romans is one of the harder ones. And so I hadn't done it yet, but I feel it's time to break out the study skills and get the book of Romans done. So that's what we're going to do. But um, Paul never went to the church in Rome. But the church in Corinth that he writes this letter to he started it, according to Acts chapter 18. He spent about a year and a half in this church, and he knew this church. And we see this passage tonight, and we see several things with it. And, uh, oh, I just got a text from Dolly. She says there's 13 of Paul's epistles. She told me that. I didn't even ask the question yet. And I don't know if there's 13 or if there's 15 or 17. Who thinks there's 17 epistles? Anybody? Anybody say 15? Anybody say 13? There's 13. So those of you that have it right, I'm going to have a special prize for you next Wednesday night, so be ready for it, okay? And you say, what is it? Just remind me on Tuesday, someone, so I'll have it for you on Wednesday. And so that will be good. 1 Corinthians tonight, and we've gotten through the Gospels. We look at the history of the church. Now we're into the epistles, and we see where is the church... Corinthians, we think of Corinth, 
you got the last page of your notes, you'll see in the last page of your notes, you'll see a map. You see that map there? And that map shows you where all the churches that Paul wrote to were in those days. And so you can kind of see bottom right corner, you see where Jerusalem is. You see up from there. I always, you look for the kind of the boot looking thing. That's, you know, Italy and things there. And so we see Corinth right there in Greece. And so this is where Paul was writing this epistle. It's a big city. About 600,000 people lived in this city. Merchants, philosophers, ex-soldiers, retailers, lots of different things were in the city. But one thing about Corinth, it was a very wicked city. If you were to compare Corinth to a city today around us, I'd probably compare it to Las Vegas. would be similar to how Corinth was. It was wicked. Sin was rampant, such as the sin of drunkenness, um, dishonesty, sensuality, and we go even deeper. There's so many things. And the sensuality, the sin that they had there was directly due to the worship of one of their gods, um, Aphrodite. And there were a thousand temple prostitutes that were set apart for service at the temple of that god. It's a wicked city. This church, we're going to see tonight, this church had some problems. So we're going to dive into tonight. When you think about the book, it was written by Paul to the church at Corinth. And it was written around 59 A.D., and he wrote it while he was on his third missionary journey in Ephesus is when this first epistle was written to Corinth. Now, we look at it tonight, and you see we have a title there, 1 Corinthians. Corinth, we have a problem. Guess what tonight? Churches have problems. Did you know that? We say, why in the world would churches have problems? Because churches have people, and people have problems. If we want to get rid of the problems in church, we just got to get rid of the people. But it don't, you don't have a church without the people, so hence, we're always going to have some problems. We look, at the, we look at this passage, we go to 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse number 1. Actually, go down to verse number 10. 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Look at verse number 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. So think about this. They didn't have Facebook back when this was written. No social media of any sort, no Twitter, no nothing. They didn't have text messaging. And yet Paul still found out in a far distant city. Do you see your map there? Look at your map again. Paul, when he wrote this, was in Ephesus. Quite a bit of water separating Corinth and Ephesus there. Do you see that? But news had traveled to Paul that there were contentions in the church in Corinth. We go to chapter number 3, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 
We look at verse number one, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for here too you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? And walk as men. It's quite, quite a way to start out a book, a letter. You're carnal. This church in Corinth was filled with carnality. It was filled with sin. It was filled with divisions. It was filled with problems. And Paul teaches them on a variety of subjects for the sake of unifying and purifying the church in Corinth. This church was in the midst of a wicked city, a sinful city, we've already talked about it, that was full of wickedness, but some of what was in the city found its way into the church, and that wasn't a good thing. Paul gives us here in 1 Corinthians a wonderful letter, a graciously firm biblical way to address the problems they had in the church in Corinth. And by the way, that's how we today should be dealing with sin and problems in church, in a gracious, firm, biblical way. Just because it's 2020 doesn't mean that all things go. When there's sin, sin's got to be dealt with. When there's divisions, it's got to be dealt with. And what I want to understand is what problems popped up for the church in Corinth have been popping up in all churches for 2,000 years now. So tonight, you say, Pastor, are you? it's the next book we're going to. People think, oh, Pastor, you, sometimes you preach things just because you, there's stuff going on. It's not always that way. But if there's something that fits you tonight... Use it. Apply it to your life. Move forward with it. Maybe it's preventative maintenance. You never know. It's a good thing to know and be ready for. Because where you have people, there will be problems. That's just how it is. What does the Bible say? Where no oxen are, the crib is clean. We could have a very clean church. No spots on the floor, no nothing. If no one was here, the more people are here, the more messy it gets. People are what church is all about. But when you have people, problems are part of it. And you got to learn to deal with it. Got to learn to move forward with it. There's so much to it. We're going to talk about that tonight. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll dive into the book. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace. Bless us tonight. I pray that you'd help us in this passage to learn what we can tonight and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The book split up, and the first thing that we see, what was going on in the church? There was division, divisions. There were divisions in the church, divisions. We go back to chapter number 1 of 1 Corinthians, and I want you to look with me down at verse number 11 through verse 15. There was divisions in the church. So look at chapter 1, verse number 11. It says, um, For it hath been declared unto me, of you, my brethren, by the 
them which are of the house of Chloe, that they are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any more, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. We go to chapter number 3. Chapter number 3, and we look down at verse number 4, we see some of the divisions that had arisen in the church in Corinth. It says, For, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Division in the church makes as much sense as saying that Christ is divided or that the Godhead's divided. There shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that way. We read these verses and we hear about Apollos. Apollos was a wonderful Christian and teacher. The problem wasn't Apollos. It was some people's allegiance to Apollos and divided them because they loved one teacher or preacher more than another. There were some there that said, I love Paul. I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. And we see the division began. You see, one as we read these verses and some things to help us, and I know we're going through the book tonight, but I feel like the book of 1 Corinthians could help the church so much, is some of these things. Do you know it's not about you? And it's not about me. It's all about Jesus Christ and the cross. That's what it's all about. It's not about who your mentor was, who you grew up under, whatever the case may be. It's about your master. That's what it's about tonight. It's not about your favorite Christian personality. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. It's not about your, pre your um, preferred style of teacher or your favorite teacher. It's about the teaching of the Word of God. You see, you cannot, church, listen up, you cannot put your faith or have your faith cannot be built upon a man. 
Your faith must be built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and him only. Don't ever forget that. No matter how good or how influential someone might have been in your life, no matter how influential I might be in your life, you better not build your life or your faith on me or anyone else that's helped you along the way. It better be built on Jesus Christ because he's who's important. And we see back in chapter number one, look at the last verse of the thing, that uh, verse 31, that according as is written, he that glorifieth, let him glory in the Lord. You see, they didn't need to be saying, well, I'm of Apollos, and I'm a Paul, and I'm a Peter. Who are they all of? The Lord. We're supposed to glorify in him and him only. So we see number one, there were divisions that they're dealing with in the church. Number two, there was deviant behavior. Deviant behavior. Say, what do you mean? Go with me to chapter number five. Chapter number five. Not only was there division in this church, but there was sin going on in this church. And it's very interesting to me. God is not calling out the man here. He's calling out the church and how they handle what the man has done. Look at it. Chapter 5, verse number 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Verse number 2. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Go down to verse number 5. Or read verse 3. For I verify as absent in the body, but present in spirit, having judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Look at verse number 9. I wrote unto you in, the, in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Go down to verse number 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one, know not to eat. Verse 13. But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Got a young man fornicating with his stepmom is the gist of what's going on in the church in Corinth. They knew what was going on. The church knew. And they did nothing about it. They let the sin go. Say, what is Paul saying here? Don't 
tolerate open and wicked sin. That's what Paul's saying. Their view of grace in the church in Corinth was not a biblical view. Well, it's just not my place to judge. Stay clear of that. Live and let live. As long as they aren't hurting anyone, sin hurts the church. It does. And that's why we need to be so careful. And there's a fine line and a balance with all of it. I know churches that you rub your nose the wrong way and you got to come and confess your sin in the front of the church and let everyone know that you rubbed your nose the wrong way or something like that. I've seen, I've seen churches where nothing is done when sin comes into play. But as we talk about this, you got to think with me, it's interesting that Paul doesn't sternly rebuke the young man here. He's getting after the church because the church was tolerating the sin that was taking place. Why? Because far worse than a church where someone commits adultery is a church that says nothing about adultery being wrong or fornication. Holiness is very important to a church and needs to be essential. We talk about essential things. In a church, holiness must be essential. I've had people in the past, there's been issues that have gone a few different things. Well, why didn't you bring that to the church? It's because they got right with God and moved forward. Study church discipline and read Matthew chapter 18 in different places. You don't have to bring it before the church if you go to them and get things right or you bring someone else that comes to the church after a progress of time. If things get fixed before that time, it does not have to come before the church. And some of us couldn't handle hearing someone else's sin anyways because we're, not, we're too carnal ourselves to be able to deal with it. And we can talk more about that another time if we want, but holiness is important. This church just lets sin go. And just so you know, your pastor's far from perfect. If you wanted a perfect pastor, you got the wrong guy, okay? I'm far from it. And I wish I was better than what I was in so many different ways. But there's some of you sitting in the room tonight. There's some watching online. I've come to you when I hear of some things happening. Not to judge you and to make you feel bad, but in the church, sin must be dealt with. And that's my job. And some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. That's the best way to be. That's the best thing there. But sin has to be dealt with. You cannot let sin just have a free pass. That was the problem here. And so we cannot tolerate open and wicked behavior. It must be dealt with. We also see not only was there the fornication taking place, but in chapter number 6, so we see that there was, sorry, I should have given these points, letter A, there was immorality, immorality. I was jumping ahead of myself. Immorality was letter A. And that had to do with the fornication with the stepmother. We see letter B, that there were legal issues. Legal issues, or the improper handling of legal issues. And chapter 6 talks about um, suing one another and all of that, and goes into detail of that. And then you also see the end of chapter number 6, going into chapter 7, which talks about the intimacy in marriage. 
And there were some issues in those different things that were talked about. The Bible makes it clear, and Paul teaches on marriage, and you know, and marriage is important. And it's important to do things in light of how God would want it done. Any relationship outside of marriage is wrong. Any sexual relationship, period, it's wrong. Not even if you're meaning to get married or if you're going to get married later or this or that, it's still wrong. Not being married and, and having sexual relationship with one another is fornication. Inside of marriage, having a sexual relationship with someone other than your spouse, it's adultery. That's what it's talking about. And Paul puts out some things, and we got young people in the room, and some of the things you need to remember. You look at chapter 6, look at the very end of the chapter, verse 18. And teens, you look at these words good, it says, flee fornication. That means stay clear of it. When I think of the word flee fornication, I'm thinking of Joseph and Potiphar's wife's house. He got his pair of shoes on, and he got out of there. He just left his coat. That was the only thing. But he, you flee Flee fornication. Look what it says there. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. He that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And then chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and every woman have her own husband. It's not, and the, verse number one, I know it's pretty simple to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. You don't touch them, you're never going to get to fornication. It's an easy way of looking at it. And young people, you do your best. I know in the world that we live, and it's a sex-crazed world that we live in, you do your best to serve God, flee those thoughts, and do right by God, because the Bible says that most sin is outside of your body. When you sin and you fornicate, that's an inward body sin. And so be very careful. Follow God's ways. God's ways are the best way. So we see the church had divisions. Not only did they have divisions, but they had a lot of bad behavior going on, deviant behavior. And then, number three, we see that there were doubtful disputations. Doubtful disputations. Chapter 8 through chapter number 10. And important chapters for gray areas. I hear people, there are no gray areas with God. <laughs> Read chapter 8 through chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians here. Some people are straight black and white, and I get that. But read chapter 8 through 10. In Christianity, some gray areas. You say, well, what would be a gray area? Some people don't, like, don't, don't believe they should eat meat, and some do. Talks about that in chapter 8 through 10. So then you look at chapter number 8, and we see that there was meat. Look at chapter 8, verse number 1. It says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that ye all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And so meat offered to idols, you know, do you eat it? Do you not? And it says, verse number 3, and I love that. I love the end of verse number 1. Just look at that phrase real quick. Knowledge puffeth up but charity, but love edifies. Puffed up is pride coming into the picture, isn't it? And that's what this is. You've got to be careful. 
listen to me for a minute. You're watching online, you listen too. Knowledge can puff up, but love edifies. You're not supposed to do that that way. There's nothing much loving about saying it that way. We look at these verses and we look at what it says here. And look at verse number four. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be they that are called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we are in him, and one Lord Jesus by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of idols unto this hour eat it as a thing of offered unto an idols, and their conscience being weakened is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee that thou hast knowledge sitting at, eat, at meat in an idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to be offended, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. How Christian is that? If it's going to hurt them, I just won't do it. We go out to eat and you don't eat meat because you have some big problem with it of some sort. I'll skip meat for a meal, make you feel better. That's a novel concept. No, I need a big old steak right in front of you and chew every bite and show you how meat is good, which it is, but that's for another time and place. You know, Paul's saying here, sometimes it's okay to eat meat, sometimes you shouldn't. Depends on where, depends on who's there, how it will affect another brother, brother. And there are areas in our lives where my wife and I have liberty in Christ. But you got to understand something. We might not do it so that we're not a stumbling block to another brother or sister in Christ. There's a balance with all of this. Love denies itself for others' good. That's the example of Christ in the gospel. And that's how we're called to live as well. Think about this. When's the last time you attended church with the edification of others as your primary concern when you came to church? That's not how it is, is it? Oh, they didn't sing my favorite hymn today. Do you always have just a group of people you like to hang out with? We can never, and one thing we got to make sure in a church and make sure we never become a clicky church with little pockets here and there. We should not just have, and this is the thing, this is one of the things you're going to realize, some people get along better with other people than others do. But you never want to seclude yourself so much to where you're in a group and you can't, we're one body. And just because your group's all in this hand, there could be people over in this hand that should be over with this part of the body. 
It works together. It's together. That's why we can't have cliques and things of that nature. And it's so important. We look at chapter number 9. And look at verse number 19. Bible says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I may gain the Jews to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I may gain them that are without law. Verse 22, it says, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. What does Paul say? I become all things to all people. He doesn't just have his little group. He's there for everyone. You know, there are certain, you think about it. There might be certain people that my personality clicks with better than others. But that doesn't mean I just hang out with people who my personality clicks with the best. There might be, okay, Cruz and I, we both like sports. We can talk about sports a long time. But I probably couldn't go up to Carl and talk about sports. Now I can go to Russ and talk about baseball, but Cruz would, it's more football with him. But Carl, baseball, football, he doesn't care about those things. So I'm not going to be able to go to Carl and talk about football. So I should be able to talk about history and planes just a little bit to talk with Carl. And then if I'm going to talk to Belinda, i got to talk about prisoners and things. I can't talk about these other issues and all this other stuff. If I'm going to talk to Jay, Jay likes sports some, but I could just talk donuts with him, and that would be just fine. There would be no problem there. John O'Donnell, he's retired now, and so there's things he and I can talk about. But this is the thing. You are supposed to be all things. You should be able to get along with every person that's in the body for the gospel's sake. Everybody that comes in the door, you should be able to get along with them and do just fine with them. But they're not like me. No one is. And thank God we don't have more of you or more of me. But we should be able, I love Paul's attitude here. For the weak, I became weak. The strong, I was strong. For those who like sports, I know sports. For those who like politics, I get into politics a little bit. For those who like this or that or whatever the case may be. For the gospel's sake. We look at chapter number 10. Look down at number 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. You've got to remember, church, navigate the gray areas biblically. Here are two things that should drive us in every area, and especially those gray areas. Are you ready? Unity and charity. Unity and charity. Don't put your freedom ahead of someone else's walk. The other day I was in a store. I think I'm safe giving this story. 
And I was in this store, and I was wearing my mask. I wear a mask when I get into the store. I do it every store I go into. And there was, this, there was someone who's come to our church sometimes, and they're walking through the store with no mask on. And they, they said, is that you, Pastor Brian? It's me. I didn't recognize you with that mask on. Said, yeah, the sign just outside says you're supposed to wear one. You would be one of the last people I'd expect to wear a mask. We're Christians. We stand up for our liberties. And they were going on about it. There was a lot of people right there in the store. And right after they got done talking with me, there were three people going through in line. They're walking by and they're like, do you have a mask? I have one, but I'm not wearing it. I have my rights. And they kept going. And maybe you're that way and you can do whatever you want. But it's not a very good testimony for the Lord to be that way. You can hate the mask all you want, but there are just certain things you do. And I was shocked that they were shocked that I would be wearing one. The sign says on the door, no shirt, no service. I have a shirt on. I thank God for everyone in that store. <laughs> I, I do my best in those areas. I don't try to flaunt things. My job is not to flaunt my liberties. My job is to build up and love people. That's what Paul's saying here. And so, next, and we're probably running, oh, we're running out of time. We, didn't even, we probably won't even get to the video tonight. There's so much good stuff in this book. So, number one, I said tonight there were divisions. Number two, there's some deviant behavior. Number three, doubtful disputations. Number four, there was disorders in the church. There was, this church was a mess. You say, I'm glad our church, is, our church probably fits right in line with, I'm sure all churches are this way. But there are lots of, there's a lot of rebukes that Paul gives now. From chapter 11 through chapter 14, Paul, his first rebuke for them was in their handling of the Lord's Supper. They were going buffet style for the Lord's Supper. And then some were taking it unworthily on top of that. And Paul has to set things in order and be like, you're not handling this correctly. And, and be very careful. You can go to Roman, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And we're not good, we're gonna get through here and be done in a few minutes. But if you read through there, they were they were making a feast out of the Lord's Supper. And Paul is very trying to remind them of the fact that the Lord's Supper, it was supposed to be a picture of what the Lord has done. And that each man, everyone should examine themselves, and there's so many different things that we see there. And so he rebukes them on their handling of the Lord's table. Then chapter number 12, he rebukes them for their handling of their spiritual gifts. And you see right away from verse number 1 of chapter 12, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You shouldn't be stupid when it comes to that. You shouldn't be simple. You should know and have some ideas about the spiritual gifts that God's given you. He rebukes them about their handling of their place in the body, and really they were not fulfilling. And this, you got to understand something. When God puts a church together, God puts a church together the way he sees fit, not the way you or I see it. You see, if I was making the body, making the church, there are certain things I would want, certain aspects in different places. Last time I, last time I read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God puts together the body as he sees fit. So do you realize we have everything that we need to fulfill what God wants us to do with the body that he's given to us? 
The problem is a lot of body parts aren't doing their part. Every spot, every member of the body has a part, has a spot. And as a pastor, that's one of my jobs to help you find your spiritual gift and to take your part of the body that God's given you and help you function so the body runs properly. And we can get deeper into that, and maybe sometime we will. We also see, as we talk about this, the, the disorders in the church, the Lord's table, the spiritual gifts, chapter 13 is one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible, the love chapter, Valentine's Day cards. But in context, this is what you got to understand. Paul's showing them that love is the key to fix all the problems that are going on in their church. That's if you take in its proper context what it's saying here. When we stop seeking our own and start living for others, that's how God designed for the church. You want to fix the disorders in the church? Love is going to be the key. Which leads us to number five. We see doctrinal instruction. Um, I didn't really talk much about chapter 14, but when you get some time, you can read through chapter 14. It talks about the gift of tongues. It also explains some rules of tongues. And you could also see how, you say, well, why was there tongues in, in Corinth? Because the Bible wasn't completed yet. We go into chapter 13, talk more about it. But if you look at how people speak in tongues today and you read chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, you'll see that 99.99998%, oh, yeah, that that many people do tongues unbiblically compared to what the Bible says. And in fact, this is the Bible, not me. Are you in chapter 14? Okay, this is the Bible, not me, okay? Remember that. Let me let you look at a verse. Um, which verse do I want you to look at? Look down at verse number 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the church, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also unto the law. So women, shut up and don't ever say anything in church. That's taking that out of context. And there's many a person who's taken that out of context. What is chapter 14 about? Speaking in tongues. It's saying for a woman to be silent in church, they're not supposed to be speaking in tongues when tongues were permitted. So women don't speak in tongues. That's what the Bible says. Women were given the gift of gab already, so they weren't given the gift of tongues. So, and some of you might, oh, some of you got that. Okay, you got that there. But in all reality, when it says a woman's supposed to be silent, it's referring to that. We know that a woman's not supposed to preach or observe authority. That's in Timothy. But this being silent is talking about, because otherwise you should never sing in church. You should never do anything. But that's not what the passage, it's about tongues. Women were not permitted to speak in tongues. So we look at number five. We see there's some doctrinal instruction in chapter number 15. Chapter 15 is such an amazing passage, the whole entire 58 verses. I'm just going to read the first four because we're out of time tonight. But it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, that which also received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I have delivered unto you first of all that which also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We go through this whole awesome chapter. Skip down to the very end with me. Go down to verse number 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the dead, for the, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And we see that he had to clear up some doctrinal issues about the resurrection. Some had started preaching that Christ didn't rise from the dead. And what Paul does, he has to set things straight, because if Christ did not rise from the dead, then what hope would we have as believers? Which leads to number six, there were some departing thoughts, departing thoughts. And uh, what is his departing thoughts? Look at verse number 14 of chapter 16. Let all your things be done with charity. Let all your things be done with love. And then look at the last verse, verse 24. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. On April 14, 1970, the crew of Apollo 13 famously radioed the um, NASA headquarters in Houston to report some problems. And some 19, you think about this, some 1900 years earlier, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth to let them know there were some problems that they had. And they need to deal with these problems and move forward with them. God was saying, hey, Corinth, you've got a problem. Hey, Victory Baptist, we can have problems too. May we allow the gospel to lead us to love as Christ loved so that our church won't receive a similar correction from God. What Paul is doing in this whole entire book, he's reminding the church that they should be holy, unified, and loving. And next week, we're going to get to 2 Corinthians. We're going to see how the man decided to get right with God, and the church wasn't accepting him back. We'll see how to deal with those things and go deeper into 2 Corinthians.